get a handle on your finances, to understand your numbers. Because if you really understand your numbers, then you can put a plan together. Yeah. And you got to have a plan right now. There, there has to be a plan. If you don't have a plan, it's going to get really difficult. And look, it just, lack of a better word, it sucks to just be lucky and depend on luck in this business. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. And today I've got Scott Siegel from Maggio Roofing and CCN, Certified Contractors Network. Scott, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Too long. Let's uh, remind everybody, if they don't know who you are, give them the you know minute or two version of the, the roofing company and CCF. Sure. I am a roofing contractor by trade. I, I've been in the roofing business since 1989 in the Washington, D.C. area. I own a company called Maggio Roofing. We're approximately $7 million residential slash small commercial roofing contractor in 2000 well 1997 i joined certified contractors network as a member in 2009 three years after the founder had passed away i had the opportunity to purchase the network so for the last geez 2009 it's been a long time i've been running certified contractors network as well i spend probably 90 percent of my time working on CCN versus the roofing company, just simply because it really runs on automatic at this point. Although this last six to eight months, I've decided to, well, as a team, we decided to grow the the roofing company. So I'm spending a little bit more time working there these days, but you know, life's good. Yeah. Good. And so, you know, I had to, I told you I've been having computer issues and I had to do some cleanup the other day and I ran into some stuff from way, way back when, you know, CCN is where G4 really started. Had it not been, I, I think, had it not been for CCN, I don't know if there would, if we would have lasted, but tell us, tell everybody a little bit about what CCN does because you're an yep. amazing training organization. Sure. Certified Contractors Network really started out of Richard Keller was the founder and he was a roofing, siding, window contractor in the Philadelphia market, owned five different companies, and he did a lot of speaking engagements. And, and it was, CCM was born out of that. He, just, he retired from his contracting companies, gave them to his brothers and sold off a couple of them and decided that he would just train contractors training and consulting. So we, we've kind of turned, it's, it's a lot of sharing of best practices and training programs. And it's kind of morphed over the years into, you know, I guess the the best way to explain it is like, it's like a full-blown operating system for your home improvement company. You know, so it's from the, the systems and processes to training those systems and processes to coaching people through it. It really kind of, it's a little bit different than like generic coaching because like I would say generic coaching in 
I'm not, I guess in the entrepreneurial space, it's not real specific, right? It, it, it tells you, you need to know your metrics, but they don't tell you what metrics. You need to be able to sell your projects, but they don't tell you how to sell your projects. You need to hire the right people. They don't tell you how to hire the right people, who are the right people. CCN really gets down to the nitty gritty and not only tells you what KPIs to measure, but what they should be and how to measure them. How do you, not only do you need to sell at the right price, but how do you arrive at the right price for your company? And then how do you, how do you actually do it step-by-step? Yeah. Cool. All right. So Scott and I started a very interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago at a event in Baltimore. And I, as we were going, I'm like, Hey, stop, let's, let's meet, let's turn on the recording and let's continue this conversation so that it's not just me and him having it, it's me, him, and you, you, the listener. So we were talking about kind of what's going on in the industry. That's a lot changing. We were talking a little bit about the economy and what might be coming. And so I thought, you know, Scott's got a a really good pulse. I think kind of like I do dealing with hundreds of companies out there. And so I thought it would be really good to get his take on what he sees going on and where he thinks we're headed. Cause you've been through, you've been through a few ups and downs. Uh, yeah. You know, you know the early nineties, uh, you know, went through that recession then the bust in 2000 and then, you know, again in 2008 and 2009, that was uh, pretty rough for everybody. I don't know, look, who's, you know, there's a million talking heads on TV predicting, you know, yeah. we have a bear market, a recession, the rising inflation, you get all these things. And, and then you've got, you know, people talking about, well, we're at the bottom, it's no, you know, nowhere to go but up. My concern is the following. After going through this last couple of years of, you know, COVID and contractors getting the greatest gift that they've ever been handed, right? Things were really good. People were locked up in their homes. They weren't traveling. They weren't going out. So they had plenty of money. They got plenty of money, incentives. They were able to work from home, save money. And, you know, the whole idea of work from home led to a lot of home improvements done. And as contractors, we really weren't shut down. And so we were able to work other than the first maybe four to six weeks of the pandemic. Right. We were able to work through all this. So we we got, if you were, if you knew what you're doing, you were able to get two rounds of PPP money and employer retention credit money. So it was just a tremendous amount of money that came from the government. And, you know, I'm in the unique position where we train contractors on their financials. We, we sit down with them, we go through their, their business plan and help them create a pro forma and really drill down to see what's really going on. And it, it's, it's a scary thought because there's a lot of contractors out there that had they not gotten that government money, if you took that government, that government money out of their P&Ls or off their balance sheets, they actually lost money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a scary thought. Now you add to that that a lot of people were so busy over the last year that they weren't paying attention to cost increases and, and you know, price increases. So they, their, their backlog is extended, price increases extended. Now people are selling jobs, let's say 
today in, you know, we're, we're June, beginning of June, they might not get to them until August or September or later. And if they don't have the right price on it now, what's it going to look like? How's that job going to perform when it's even worse? I mean, you'd, you'd have to get extremely lucky that prices fall by then so that you, you could actually turn a profit. And I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think prices are going to come down anytime soon. And I think contractors aren't going to fix their financials anytime soon. They haven't done it in, you know, however many years, they're not going to all of a sudden do it now just because we're talking about it. So I see what I kind of, if I'm having a crystal ball, I would say to somebody, the large contractors are going to get much larger and the small contractors are going to get squeezed and probably end up, we're going to have another mass exodus out of this space that we had in 2008, 2009, a lot of, a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of people going under, which, you know, could be good and bad, right? I mean, you know, for those that are smart and those that have a handle on their financials and have a handle on all the systems and processes, they can take they can take advantage of something like that. This creates a lot of opportunities. There's going to be a lot of work to be done that no one's going to be able to do. There's going to be maybe more employee, you know, potential employees to hire, subcontractors to hire, things like that. So, so there's good and bad there. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a silver lining. It's it's not all doom and gloom. But I would say if you're listening to this recording and you really don't have a strong handle on your metrics of your business, you you better find somebody like the two of us who could help you really understand your financials and then you know put together a good plan to be able to make a profit. Yeah. You know, and like you said, this is not doom and gloom talk. This is for the right companies. It's being prepared. There's a little bit, I think, of healthy paranoia. As an entrepreneur, I think you got to have a little bit of paranoia, not, hey, the sky is falling, but what if the sky fell? Right. How do you plan for it? And, plan? Yeah. And, and frankly, you know, I look back and in 2009, 2010, so for those that were in business through that horrible financial crisis, I had my best year I've ever had in business in 2009, 2010. That span, when everybody was going under, we had our most profitable year we had ever had. Yeah. Then. You know, and how do I explain that? Well, we took advantage of opportunities that came up. We were, we were in a good position. And I think right now we're in a good position. We're, we're flush with cash. We, we have the capital. We have employees, we have a good you know, employee base, we have a good customer base, and uh, we have a plan for expansion right now. And so for me, for my roofing company, I'm in growth mode right now. I'm not in hunker down and try and you know, figure this out. I'm actually looking to grow my market share. And I think so there is a lot of good opportunity out there, but it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of skepticism too as to what's happening, you know, what, what's going to happen. Cause you know, you, you look at different areas, the real estate bubble is, is a, it's gotta be a bubble, right? I mean, how could prices rise as much as they're rising everywhere? And we don't think that there's going to be a change. I mean, just today 
or actually, I guess it was yesterday, Elon Musk yes. put out a whole thing, talked about how he expects every employee to be in the office a minimum of 40 hours a week. Yep. And if you don't, and if you're not going to get there, don't come to work. Now, he also so, sent out an internal memo that said they need to reduce their workforce by 10%. So there might be something, you know, to that, that why, why he said that. So that doesn't, you know, create a, you know, problem. You know, what, you know what else he said that I thought was really funny? He said, you can go pretend to work somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, look, a lot of people think they're going to work from home forever. I, I think that's unrealistic. So once that realism that you're going to have to go back at some point to a hybrid schedule or to an actual office, the, you know, the cool, you know, that could put a little bit of a cool down on the housing market, along with the rising interest rates, along with the stock market taking a little bit of a downturn. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of little things. Costs are going, I mean, the inflation's going insane. Yeah. I mean, just Look, I just got my health insurance rates for my company and we're, you know, across the board, it's each plan's 11, 12 and 15% higher costs. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's uh, that this is real and it's going to affect everyone. So what are some of the things that company owners should be doing right now to make sure that they aren't going to be the one that goes out in their market, that they aren't the one that is going to get in trouble, the, you know, potentially face financial losses, bankruptcy. What are some of the things that they need to be focused on right now? I think the number one thing that I stress to any contractor, any member of CCN or anybody who's thinking comes to us is, you know, get a handle on your finances to understand your numbers, because if you really understand your numbers, then you can put a plan together yeah. and you got to have a plan right now. There, there has to be a plan. If you don't have a plan, it's going to get really difficult. And look, it just lack of a better word. It sucks to just be lucky and, and depend on luck in this business. It's hard it's enough. Horrible, it's a horrible strategy. It's yeah. not a strategy. <laughs> right. And then we have, you know, Look into, don't just accept the what people are saying as gospel. And I'll give you an example. We had a speaker at our last conference who titled his presentation, The Great Resignation. They talked about the great resignation and the people are resigning it. You know, it's an alarming thing since COVID. Well, the reality is it's a myth. There is no such thing as the great resignation. If you really look at, okay, well, where did this come from? This came, the, the whole title, the term great resignation came from some professor at Texas A&M who was being interviewed and he was sharing some research and he said, I really think what's going to happen in the coming months is there's going to be a great resignation in the U.S. And all of a sudden there was memes and there was, you know, the whole thing was born, you know, this era defining moment of the great resignation is born. But if you really take a look at the numbers and the U.S. Labor Department tracks these numbers, they track the quit rate of people. The quit rate of people has been going up for 20 years every year. It's not like the pandemic caught, you know, COVID caused a great resignation. It's been rising every year. 
So is there really a great resignation or is it just, this is the normal course of, you know, it's sort of like global warming, you know, is there really global warming or is it just natural, you know, what's happening to the earth? I mean, I guess you can make a couple arguments, you know, there, but as far as I would try to look at in, in that context of people resigning, why are they resigning? Because there are more people resigning every year. And I think the statistic was 4 million people resigned in 2020 and four and a half million 2021 and they're projecting 5 million, you know, in, in, in 2022, that's per, that's on a monthly basis. So you, you multiply that out and just, it's this gigantic number. So why are they doing it? And, and if you look at all the different studies, one study says, well, I think it was a Pew research study on it. And they said that most people are quitting. Two thirds of the people they interviewed were quitting their jobs because they didn't have enough flexibility and their benefits weren't good. You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The two, the two top reasons were the pay was low and there were no opportunities for growth. The not enough flexibility and benefits weren't good were secondary. So, okay, well, if the pay was too low and they didn't have enough opportunity for growth, one of the first things you can do as a contractor, if you're worried about losing good people, maybe you need to pay them the right amount of money. And, and maybe you need to give them some sort of opportunity for growth. As a contractor, you can't give them that growth if you're not growing. So that's why it goes back to what's your plan? Is your plan just to stay the same small contractor? Well, if that's the plan, chances are at some point you're gonna lose some good people because they're not gonna just stick around or you're gonna have to do all the work yourself, which that's not fun. Now, number two reason people quit was toxic work culture. That hits our industry in a big way because most small contractors, uh, they don't have the greatest culture in their business and they don't know how to really make that culture. So you, you've got to do some work on that. So there's all kinds of uh, reasons why people are quitting. But what it comes down to is it's not COVID. It's COVID didn't cause this. It, it's, you know, people are you know, making, we're making that move because they wanted to work flexible, you know, hours and all that long before COVID was ever even a thought. So this just kind of maybe sped it up a little bit. And it, it just, now we're sort of, just like we're in the endemic phase of COVID, I think we're in the endemic phase of people wanting, you know, a hybrid schedule of work. I mean, we're, we're there, we just have to deal with it. And we have to figure out how to create a good culture for our people. And that's, I mean, the biggest hurdle I see in contracting is how do we get the work done, right? I mean, we, we, we can all sell the work. It's not that difficult to sell work. Even in bad times, it's not difficult to sell work. It might be difficult to get the leads, but it's not difficult to sell the work. Getting the work done though, has become increasingly more and more difficult because of the labor pool. So we've got to be able to attract good people and keep them. Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools 
to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to BuilderPrime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. So what are some of the things, you know, it's interesting, you're, you're talking about knowing numbers. We talk about this stuff here all the time, knowing your numbers, running your business by the numbers, having a plan, your people. We talk about people, process, and profit. Those are our wealthy contractor. Those are the three big things, people, process, and profit. You want to get everything, whatever you want to get out of your business, you got to master those three things. So you brought up all three of those things. So when it comes to people and it comes to culture, I know you do a lot in this area. What are some of the things that the smaller companies need to do? Yeah, it's a really good question. And you know what? It's not that hard. That's the great part about this because everybody thinks that that's so difficult. How do you do it? Well, the first thing that, you know, when I'm working with a a small company is a sit down and say, okay, let's the owners right now or the, the leaders of the company. What are your core values? Like what really are your core values? What are your non-negotiables? What is it that you really believe in? Sorry to cut you off, Scott. We hear, you know, core values is another one of those things that it's a buzzword. You know, culture is a buzzword. Core values is a buzzword. Can you give us, like, tell us what core values are? Well, I'll give you an example. Like one of my core values is that we do the right thing the first time. And that's, to me, is a core value. Now, I've had salesmen come in and they're really good salespeople. I mean, they just sell a lot of work, but they don't share that, right? They'll sell anything to anyone. That's not somebody that I can keep in my company. As much as I like to keep that million and a half dollar salesperson or $2 million salesperson, because, you know, it's nice to have that $2 million worth of sales. It doesn't fit our core value. So we have to let that person find their future somewhere else. And, you know, they have a better opportunity somewhere else uh, at another company because it just doesn't fit our, our values. So, you know, things like that are, you know, doing the right thing, you know, for you and for the company. So for example, some people believe, yeah, the customer is always right. Well, you know what? Sometimes the customer isn't right. And sometimes if you live by that, I'll just do whatever the customer wants, that can go down a really bad road for a company and it it doesn't create a win-win. Now, we're always looking, one of the things that we talk about is always creating a win-win. So a win for the customer, a win for the company. It can't be a win-lose. It can't be, you know, it can't be us winning, the customer losing, or the customer winning and us losing. It doesn't work. So the, those are just a couple examples of what people's core values are. And once, you, once everybody understands that, like, you know, if, and, and don't have like 50 core values, right? That's not a core value. You have five or six core values. It's probably pretty good that you can live by uh, and run your business by. 
Well, if you share that with everybody and you have people in your organization that share those core values and aren't working against you, it's a whole lot easier to keep them. And it's a whole lot easier to attract more people like that. And it helps your company grow. Well, and I think the key there, and you just said it, is I think a lot of business owners, especially in the smaller companies, they have these values in their head. It's like, well, this is how I want to do business. I want it to be this. I want to be that. I want to, but they don't share it and they don't necessarily live it because in a smaller organization, oh man, this has to get done or, oh, we need that sale in order to make payroll. So they'll give up the core value. They won't live by the core value or they'll make an exception to the core value and yeah, well, that creates, and that that to the employee is like, you know, well, then it, it's it's almost, that's like the same thing as saying, you know, the, the owner sells the job for 20% less than what the salespeople sell the jobs for. Well, at that point, when you do that, every salesperson is looking at that saying, well, then the number isn't right. The number isn't real. And when the salesperson doesn't think the number is real, they're going to have a really hard time selling for the number that you told them to sell at. Yeah. And, and they'll just fail all the time. And, and it's, you know, it's always that issue. So you just have to be strong and you have to live those values and, and share them, like you said, share them with the team. So once you get them, it's sort of like, what do you want out of your business? What, what's the vision of the company? You as the owner might think you know where the company's going, but if you ask five of your employees, do they all know? And if they don't know, are they all doing things to move in the same direction? And chances are they're not. And it's not their fault because they just don't know where you want to go. And if you just communicate it with them and actually shared it, that would go a long way. Well, and you got to get them to buy in. I had a, I told a story at our event this year about a conversation I had with one of my clients who was, they were at, I don't know, five and a half million last year. They wanted to do 10 million this year. So my first question is always, well, why do you want to do 10 million? And blah, blah, blah. And we went, we, we had this conversation, but I asked them at the end, I said, well, who else knows about your, this grand vision that you've got for the business? And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, does anybody in your company know? Has any, has anybody else in your company agreed that, yes, this is the, this is the company I want to work for or the vision that I want to go towards in my career. And he said, no, it's like, it was basically him and his business partner had come up with this, but nobody else knew anything about it. And it's like, well, how do you expect to get there if you don't have buy-in from the rest of the team? Right. And I think this is, this is, you know, especially in smaller companies, I think that that's. It's not just small companies. I mean, that's, that's the, the myth that everybody thinks, well, that just only happens to small companies. So if you're a small company, understand that this happens to big companies too. Yeah, it's true. And, yeah. and, and they just, you know, it just hurts them more, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're talking about bigger numbers. But once you can do, once you can get everybody kind of rowing in the, rowing in the same direction, it's amazing what can happen and, and what changes you can affect. Uh, it, it really is. It's just like, again, I, I go back to how are you running your business? How are you, you know, what processes are you using to run your business? And, and, and if you don't have them and you don't have them documented so everybody knows what they are, how do you expect them to follow them? And then how do you hold them accountable for it? Because 
it's just in your head. I mean, if you're expecting them to read your mind, you know, you're setting yourself up and them up for failure. Yeah. All right. So we've got financials. We've got culture. What else? People obviously falls within culture. What else do we need to do to put a solid foundation in place so we can weather any storm? Well, again, I, I think that, you know, you, you kind of said it, you know, it's the people, it's the processes, right? It's, it's having all of those systems and processes in place, because if you have them in place and you have them documented, then you can actually fine tune them, tweak them, work them and, and get better at them. If you don't, again, then you're just kind of, it's almost like you're reinventing the wheel every, every month. Yeah. And it's tiring. And, and that's, you know, it's funny when I hear contractors say to me, you know, I've hit this glass ceiling, you know, I, I, I can't get through whether it's 2 million, 5 million, 8 million, it, it, you pick the number, it doesn't matter. A lot of people will grow to that level and they just can't break through that glass ceiling. And most of the time, the reason is because they didn't develop systems and processes that they've fine-tuned and tweaked in order to get past that. And I think all of us as smaller contractors have been there, right? It happens at different levels. Sometimes it happens at a million dollar level, $2 million level, a $4 million level. It, it happens in all different ways to different people. But once you see yourself hitting there, you've got to really look internally and say, okay, what, what are we doing, right? Do we, do we have all of the processes? Because if we don't, then we're just expecting people to work at their, they're going to work at their comfort level, basically. And they got very comfortable working at that $3 million or $5 million level, and they just don't know what it's like to get past it. So if you have a system and you have a process, you just have to plug more people in. It's, you know, it's, you hear it in sports all the time, trust the process, yeah. right? Well, it's interesting too, those numbers that you gave, because there's a, there's certain breakpoints in a business. You said the glass ceiling. So there's certain breakpoints that happen in business. I think the first one is somewhere around a million, a million two, because that's about all that the owner himself or herself can sell. So at that point, you hit this like ceiling. I think the next one is somewhere double that, somewhere between two and three million, and then around five, and then around ten, five to seven, and then around 10. But what happens in each of those areas is, like you said, one, process becomes critically important. People become critically important. But you as the owner also have to change your thinking. You have to go from the owner of a million dollar company to now the owner of a $3 million company in your head. And you have to then adjust your people and your processes in order to go to that next level. And sure. until, unless and until you can do it, it ain't going to happen. You'll get stuck there. Right. And, and a lot of times there's a lot of owners just aren't capable of, they don't have the ability to do that be that $15 million contractor. So you have to have, you have to put your ego aside sometimes yeah. and say, I need to hire some really good people that know how to run an organization like that. Yeah. And that's going to cost money, right? There's, you're going to have to make that investment. So sometimes when you hit those levels and you kind of break through, you may make a little bit less money until you get to the higher end of that level. 
and then you start, you know, making the economies of scale work and you start earning more money. And then of course you grow to the next level and it's an ever changing environment, right? Scaling the business and adding more people and, you know, but if, again, if you have all of those, you know, systems and processes in place, it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Well, and another thing too, you know, what happens with a lot of people, it's funny, and it happens with us too. Whenever you get to a certain level of whatever success is to you, that's where your head is kind of, okay, I'm at this level and I don't really see too much past this level. It could be a success. It could be even be, you know, I'm not doing well. But when you get around other people that are at those higher levels, like you do at a CCN conference, like you do at a wealthy contractor event, you get around these. So if you're a $3 million company and you want to grow to five, well, you can either do it by yourself in a vacuum all by yourself and try and figure it out. Or you or can surround go, yourself, yeah. Surround yeah. yourself with other people that are there. Exactly. Um, go spend you, two days at CCN and you'll meet people that are doing five and 10 and 20 and 30. And it opens yeah. your mind. Sure. I mean, you know, with the, you know, the saying is you're only as wealthy or you're only going to make as much money as the five closest people that you surround yourself with. So if you surround yourself with a bunch of losers, chances are, yeah. You can be a loser. You, you surround yourself with, you know, people that make $250,000 a year. Chances are you're going to get to that $250,000 mark. You want to make, you know, a million dollars a year, surround yourself with other people that are making a million, $2 million a year, and you'll learn how to do it. You know, if you want to make $10 million, you're not going to learn how to make $10 million surrounding yourself with people that are making a million dollars. Right. It, it doesn't happen that way. So you, you've got to, you know, and, and I hate to say it, and a lot of experts have said it, your family is probably the biggest suck of all. I mean, they're the ones that are going to tell you it's not possible. You can't do that. No one can do that. We've never been able to do that. We don't know. Only, only the, the rich and powerful can do that. You're not one of them. And to me. it's they're you know, they're the dream killers, right? Yeah. And the, you know, not saying you shouldn't hang out with your family, but maybe limit yeah. how much time you spend. <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting because we could talk for an hour just about this topic. I actually wrote about it in the Seven Secrets book. In the in the very first chapter, there's this theory called the bucket bucket of crabs. Have you heard about this? You put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, sure. one tries to get out. What are the other crabs going to do? They're going to pull them back in. And it's like your family too. They they want to keep you with them. And once you start to exhibit that, well, oh, wait a minute, Scott just bought a nicer house. Well, wait a minute, Scott's driving a really nice car. Oh, wow, Scott's vacationing. Now they're like, oh, shit, no, we can't lose Scott. We got to bring him back in. Anyway, it's, it's, it's not a, always it, done maliciously, but no, I don't it's, it's hold not, you back. No, I don't, it's not maliciously. But, you know, again, you know, for the, from the contractors who are listening to this, you want to grow your business to a $10 million company. You can't be just hanging out with guys that are doing a million or 2 million. They're not going to be able to get you to that 10 million. They're not going to be able to show you how to do that. Yeah. So you've got to surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. One last thing. So you brought up something interesting when we were talking the other day. And if it's true, if you're right, 
it's going to be very, very dangerous for some people. And you said that when things start to slow down, and we know that it, there's going to be a contraction, we just don't know what it's going to look like. When there's a contraction, one of the things that happen, it happens immediately is leads become much, much more expensive. So if yeah. you look at you know, what the first thing you said is fixing financials, which, you know, you and I talk about that a lot. So if you understand your financials and you've got a marketing budget built in and you know what every lead costs, what every appointment issued costs, what every sale costs you and how it fits within your pricing, you can make adjustments as necessary if lead costs go up. But what happens is with a lot of people, this is when you know you're you're heading in the wrong direction is when you start cutting marketing. You said people cut marketing and they cut training, which are two of the worst things that they can cut. And so let's talk a little bit about that because one of the things that I've been doing with my clients is because a lot of them are, you know, they're they're fat and happy when it comes to leads. The last two years, I think at CCN too, leads have not been the number one issue. It's been finding enough people to get the work done, late material issues and all of that. But, you know, our entire time in this industry, yours and mine, every year, number leads, 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 leads. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. If you don't have that factored into your budget now, even when you're fat and happy. So if you're at Let's say, oh, you know, I only spent 2% on marketing last year, Brian, and I did $5 million. Well, guess what? In normal times, that ain't going to work. Right. And, and you've got you've to figure that out. You've got to figure out what it's going to take and create that budget for it. And, like and today. Yeah. And, and know that, you know, look, last year I, I spent 3% of my revenue on marketing. Great. Well, you know what? Maybe you should set aside and budget 7% and put that money aside so that when times do get a little tough, you have a little bit more money to spend because it will be more difficult to get leads and you've got to get a little bit more creative and you've got to watch the trends, right? I mean, that's a big deal, watching the trends. Uh, You know, especially if, you know, for me, it's not as, as much in the roofing business, but for like remodelers, that's a big deal. Because if you look back 2009, you know, 2008 to 2010, 11, the average job size all of a sudden started shrinking drastically because it contracted and people's buying habits changed somewhat. So all of a sudden now you're, you're not marketing for that $250,000 addition. You're marketing for that $20,000 remodel, you yeah. know, things like that. So you've got to be careful and you've got to be able to identify those trends quickly, not after a year. Don't look back on the year and go, oh, I wish I had known. You've got to look at these numbers on a monthly basis. Maybe it's a, you know, a biweekly basis to try and notice the trends. And I hate to say, you know, get yourself in like you've got a marketing group, you know, a mastermind group. Get yourself in one of these groups that are meeting from people around the country so you can, because some of you aren't big enough. Like I'm not big enough. $7 million doesn't really represent the entire market. Right. But, you know, if you're looking at 20 companies that are doing 7 million each, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're looking at $140 million worth of work. And if everybody is saying, hey, this is what we're seeing in every area, 
well, there's a good chance that that's what the trend is going to. And, and maybe you need to make some adjustments to what you're doing marketing wise and, and what you're marketing for. Yeah. And maybe that's that causes you to hire different people. Maybe it causes you to reconfigure your production crews as well. It certainly might affect your salespeople, but it's also going to affect your marketing budget and where you're sending your marketing dollars. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I, I don't know if you find this true, but I, I found this to be the truth is what worked yesterday doesn't work today, but it might work tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the craziest thing. Things come around and, and there's a lot of things that you may, may not have worked for you a year ago or two years ago, but you might want to try it out again because it might work now. Yeah. Just like things that have been working great for the last year might not work so great going forward. So don't, don't just get so set in your ways that I, you're not going to change anything. You're not going to test anything because there's, you know, things are, if there's one constant, it's that things are always changing. Yeah. And, you know, good advice. I, it's the same advice that I've been giving my clients too, is if you're only at 2% now, act as if you're going to have to spend seven or eight. If you don't spend the extra money, wonderful, great, but put it aside have the money, you know, I, I don't know if you know, Brian, you know, Brian Gottlieb, but Tundraland. there's a guy that started a company with $3,000 on a folding table. From the very beginning, what he did was he started off by taking 7% of every single job and putting it into a separate account. That was his marketing fund. Every single job took it right off the top, put it away, put it away. And he built a hundred million dollar company with that. I mean, that wasn't the only thing, but that was, you know, you take that strategy and you say, okay. The other thing too is, you know, you talked about two things. You said marketing and you talked about training. I know you and I are, are big believers in training and you guys have, you know, an amazing program, an amazing community of members in CCN. And you're right in that the time that you need those people the most, the time that you need that support system and the training the most, when things start to contract and, oh, crap, I don't have, the money is not coming in. The first thing that you cut is like you're cutting your arm off because now you just dropped your support system. Right. Well, and it's more than that. I mean, think about this. You, you hire somebody and you say, well, do I really want to like I hire a salesperson? Do I really want to spend the money on training? Yeah. I mean, I understand. I get it. I get it from the home, the, the owner's perspective. I, I, I do. I understand. I just hired this guy. And do I really want to invest $5,000 because maybe he leaves or maybe he doesn't work yes. so, or work out or he's not successful. So maybe I'll just wait to see if he can do the job. What are the odds that he's able to do the job if you haven't trained him? Right. And then what happens if he just does the bare minimum to get by and you keep them and you haven't trained them. How much have you lost? I mean, the, the opportunity cost is, is just huge. So there's, there's things, that, I mean, we in CCN, we've changed our whole way of training and, and, and actually the, the whole value proposition for our members because just because of that one thing, because we just wanted to take the risk out. And, and how do we take the risk out? Like, how do we say there's no risk in training your people? it's hard to do that, but what we came up with was, well, then there just has to be a, I think this actually came out of me sending my kid to college. He took a, a summer class or he cried to me to take a summer class. He really wanted to take a, just one class in the summer. 
And I was like, geez, okay, he was a freshman, you take a class in the summer. I never wanted to go to school in the summer. Right. Go ahead, take a class in the summer. And I got a bill for $5,500 for one class. And I said, well, what the hell is this? Yeah. And he said, well, I, I was taking stat and that's how much it cost. I said, for one class? And he said, well, I could take up to four. I just wanted to take one. And I thought, geez, why didn't you take four? I mean, I could have, could have taken four for the same 5,500. I mean, that's crazy. Why wouldn't you do that? But he didn't have enough time to spend on it. So he wanted an A and you know all that kind of stuff. So that got me thinking, geez, that's what we do in contracting world we you know we should create a no-brainer for the contractor so we kind of came up with an all-in price like this is how much you pay you can train everybody unlimited an unlimited amount of time because training has changed now a lot of it's online live stream so the cost of it has come way down so we've been able to make it so that it's a no-brainer you hire someone you immediately put them in training don't cut your training budget. Don't, don't not train the person because I can tell you that if you don't train your people, there's a really good chance, A, they're going to fail and B, they're going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And you know, that's uh, that's a problem. Okay. So everybody that's listening. So let's, we, we got to wrap up here, but here's what's very interesting about all of what we just said, Scott. So we talked about, you know, training, we talked about marketing, we talked about process, we talked about people. All of those things require a understanding of financials, which is where you started with this, right? And when you understand the economics of your business, when you understand how to price jobs properly, so your marketing budget, you're a, a, a good you know, what, what you need marketing budget is in place when you've got the right money in place to bring the right people in place, pay them more, give them benefits, do the things that you need to do. When you've got the right price and the right financials to do marketing, to include training in there. Now you've got a really good chance of building a company that's going to last, that's going to thrive regardless of what's happening, you know, macro economic it's not going to matter because like with Maggio, Maggio is not going anywhere. That, that company is going to be successful for, you know, so we'll be, yeah, we'll as be long profitable. as you choose for it to be successful. Right. There's this whole sector, a sector of contractors that we haven't really even talked about. And maybe they're not listening to this, but maybe they are, maybe there's a couple that are, and I just want to throw that out there. There's, there's a whole sector out there that depends on the insurance companies to pay the oh. bill. And Start realizing, and I just want you to think about this, the way insurance companies make their money is by not paying, well, not paying claims and by their investments, right? I mean, that's how they keep premiums lower. They make more money in the good market by investing the money they take in as premiums and paying out less money. Well, we know what's happening in the stock market, right? We know what's happening with costs. They're all rising. So that's putting a constraint on insurance companies' profits. Even though I know the insurance companies make tremendous amounts of money, it's putting a pressure on them, which puts a pressure on the fact that they're not going to pay as much money, which filters down to you, the contractor, aren't going to get the money you thought you were going to get two years ago, three years ago. It's a different game. 
So understanding how to play that game and understanding how to do what you just talked about, putting the plan together, putting the marketing plan together, how to get the leads, how to get the right price, all that becomes indispensable. And you have to, you have to be able to do that. If you don't, I have a feeling those are the contractors that are going, we're, we're going to see working for the bigger contractors. Yeah. Yep. Well, Scott, thank you. This has been great. To find out more about CCN, just go to contractors with an S.net, contractors.net. When is your next event, Scott? Next event is September 23rd. Where? Savannah, Georgia. Savannah, Georgia. Cool. September 23rd, Savannah, Georgia. Go to contractors.net. I think I will be there at that event. I love Savannah, Georgia. Contractors.net. Scott, thank you again. Appreciate it. To everybody listening, until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, The 7 Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. Just pay shipping and handling and I'll take care of the cost of the book. And finally, a big thanks to G4 Marketing for sponsoring the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. For over 12 years now, G4 Marketing has been the secret back office relationship marketing team for hundreds of home improvement and home service businesses just like yours. You get the customer and our proven system turns that customer into five-star reviews and profitable repeat and referral business. If your home improvement or home services company completes at least 10 jobs per month, they have a solution that will work for you. To find out more, sign up for your free, no obligation, 10-minute discovery call at www.g4marketing.com forward slash strategy. That's G-F-O-U-R marketing.com slash strategy. Set your discovery call up today and they'll help you set your business up for long-term profits.